Hallelujah. 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 Anybody know he's a good father? Come on, if God has been good to you, can you just give God some praise? Come on, just stand to your feet for a moment of prayer together. Mama used to say the family that prays together stays together. I just believe in that principle that the church that prays together, come on y'all, stays together. He's worthy. We serve a good, good father. Isn't that all right? Amen. Come on, let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we bless you and we declare wholeheartedly you are a good, good father. And Lord, you're perfect in all your ways. And sometimes those ways can be mysterious. And sometimes those ways can be challenging. But Lord, we trust you. Because we know you know what's best for us. And though we can't see it on the front end, we thank you today that you always make it right on the back end. So God, would you be a blessing to somebody today? Would you encourage somebody today with your spirit? Would you give somebody hope today? Would you let somebody know that, Lord, you know exactly what's going on and you got this whole thing under control because you are a good, good father. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Come, Come on, on give, give God, God your best praise. Come on. Turn to two people and tell them we serve a good, good father. Come on, come on. We got a good, good father. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of our God. Amen. Amen. Good morning to you all. Y'all sound good this morning. Amen. Amen. God is good, and we are surely grateful for all that he is doing. We have our young people with us today. Let's welcome them. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. This being our fifth Sunday, and we give our wonderful workers the fifth Sunday off. They do a great work. To Selena and Joe, we celebrate you. Amen. And thank God for you. Also, too, uh, is Kim here today? Happy birthday, Kim. Happy birthday, girl. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. <laughs> Amen. And to all the July and August and June folk, if we missed you, happy birthday. We surely appreciate you very, very much. I uh, want to invite your attention. This is going to be our last word in this series. Uh, just wanted to share a little bit from my experience in Israel. A number of you have asked, well, Pastor, when are we going as a church? And so we're working on that. We're working on that. We want to make that happen. I uh, want to make it a good trip, a spiritual trip, but also a time where we can relax together as God's people. So this will be our last sermon in this series. Next month, we will deal with uh, giving God our best and dealing with giving and see what the word says for all of us. And I believe we'll be able to do D free together. If you haven't done D free, uh, you have to do it. Uh, we've had people that actually went through D free. Not only did they get free of debt, y'all, they bought new houses. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap of praise on that. Amen. So tell your neighbor, you're missing your D free opportunity. You're missing your D free opportunity. You want to take advantage of that. And so if you have your, your digital phones or what have you, your texts or what have you, your meditation text I want to give you today is Luke chapter 11, verses 21 and 22. And here's what it says. <clears throat> when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, 
his possessions are undisturbed. But when someone stronger, somebody say, thank God. But when someone stronger than he attacks him and overpowers him, he takes away from him all of his armor, which he had relied and distributes his plunder. Those are the words of Jesus. Our main text is back in Luke chapter 4. We looked at uh, Luke, the earlier passage of Luke chapter 4 last week, and now we're going to look at the latter. And this is after he preached in Nazareth. And here's what it says. Then Jesus went to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and taught there in the synagogue every Sabbath day. And there, too, the people were amazed at his teaching, for he spoke with authority. And once he was in the synagogue, a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit, cried out, shouting, go away. The reason the text qualifies spirit, because in the Roman world, they believe that there were positive spirits. And so, and so here, um, Luke is being very specific. No, if it's a spirit, tell your neighbor, it's an evil spirit. Amen. It's an evil spirit. Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus reprimanded him. Be quiet. Come out of the man, he ordered. And at that, the demon threw the man to the floor at the crowd, as the crowd watched. And then it came out of him without hurting him further. Amazed, the people exclaimed, what authority and power this man's words possess. Even evil spirits obey him and they flee at his command. And the news about Jesus spread through every village in, every, in the entire region. And after leaving the synagogue that day, Jesus went to Simon's home where he found Simon's mother-in-law very sick with a high fever. Please heal her, everyone begged. And standing at her bedside, he rebuked the fever and it left her, and he got up at once and prepared a meal. And today I want to talk about fighting what you can't see. Fighting what you can't see. As we stated in this series, this is the fifth gospel immersion experience. We're not preaching another gospel. The gospel is the same as found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that Paul uh, uh, explains, and we have simplified that in 10 simple words, Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. Amen. And we believe if you trust in the gospel, anybody know he'll save you? Won't he save you? Yes, he will. Yes, he will. And so the immersion experience is really a visit to the places and the spaces where Jesus taught, where he ministered, where he lived, uh, where he resided, uh, where he told his parables and even the places where he died and rose. We visited all those places. And this last place I wanted to share, and obviously I can't share everything, is the place of Capernaum, because Capernaum was the place where he did the bulk of his ministry. He did a lot of his ministry in Capernaum. We say Capernaum, but they say Capernaum. Capernaum. Say that with me. Capernaum. Capernaum. That's how they pronounce it. And so, and so last Sunday, we, we talked about him ministering in Nazareth. He went to the synagogue and tried to start a ministry, and you know what happened there. They tried to kill him, tried to push him off a cliff. And so he left Nazareth, which is way up on a hill, probably about a good 15, 20 miles from uh, Capernaum. And he goes to Capernaum, which is a fishing town, and there he starts his ministry. So I can just show you a few pictures of Capernaum. 
Uh, this is one of the signs when you first enter Capernaum, the town of Jesus. And as I stated before, there's always a church. That's a church building there, a Catholic church building right there. Tell your neighbor they're going to put a church there. Say amen. They're going to put a church there. All right. Give me the next slide. This is a broad picture. Uh, that building is right over here is the building by the sign. This building is a church, and it actually sits over what they believe to be the home of Simon Peter's mother-in-law. They believe that's the actual home, and you can actually go in, and you can look through the floor, and you can see the actual place where they would have lived. And they've actually built a, a little bit of a sanctuary there, so people go there to pray. It's a sacred space for many people. And then here, all these ruins to the right of this facility is believed to be the synagogue. And they found some remains that would suggest that this is where the synagogue uh, would have been in Capernaum. So if you look at the text and how the text reads, Jesus went to the synagogue, cast out the demon, then he went right across the street and then healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law. Give me the next slide. And so that's a bigger picture of the, the uh, place that's over Simon Peter's mother-in-law house. You can look down again into it and actually see. Give me the next slide. I think that's it. May I have one more? That's the ruins next that gives you a little bit closer look, and I think that's about it. There we go. All righty. And so I just thought that was interesting that the way the text reads, it reads exactly consistency, consistent with the location that Jesus would minister in the synagogue and then he would go right across the street and heal Simon Peter's mother-in-law. Now, one of the definitive traits of Jesus' ministry is this cosmic battle with darkness and demonic forces. He healed the sick, he raised the dead, he preached parables, he was a great preacher, he debated the scholars, but he also battled with spiritual forces. We see it in this text, and we even see it when he heals Simon Peter's mother-in-law. He doesn't lay hands on her, he doesn't say be well, but the Bible is very specific, he rebuked the fever. And, and there's a sense that the text is being subversive, as this to suggest, that there's something spiritual there. There's something demonic that's going on there. And, and really, it's a word about the gospel. And as we've said earlier, the gospel is about the power of God to deal with sin, to deal with sin in us. Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead, based on 1 Corinthians 15. That is the gospel. But the gospel not only deals with sin, but the gospel also deals with the power of Satan. The problem is in the Western church or in the American church, we focus so much on sin, we forget that God has also given us power over the enemy. So the gospel is a double-edged sword. It deals with the sin in me, but it also deals with the Satan that's trying to get at me. Come on, somebody. Anybody dealing with the devil right now even? <laughs> All right. Okay, I guess I'm by myself on this one. That, that's why our text is so important, our meditation text that I gave you. Jesus is speaking here, and he's speaking meta metaphorically about the devil. Who is the strong man? When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are undisturbed. Who is the strong man? Satan. But then he says, but when someone stronger than he attacks, 
How many of y'all know Jesus is stronger than the devil? Come on, somebody. Anybody knows Jesus got the power? And so there in the gospel is the power of God to overcome satanic forces. And it's all through the scriptures. All through it. John 12, 31. Just want to give you a few. Jesus says, judgment is upon the world. And the ruler of this world, who is Satan, has been cast out. So in the cross, in the gospel, he has also conquered Satan. Colossians 2.15 says that God disarmed the rulers of spiritual darkness, and then he shamed them publicly. The question is, how did God shame the devil in the cross? Here it is. When you want to humiliate somebody, you don't bring your best. You bring your weakest. See, if I want to whip somebody, I can whip them going toe-to-toe with my best. But if I really want to show them how bad I am, I don't bring my greatest strength. No, I bring my weakness. And so God took the weakness of the cross and humiliated the strength of the devil. Why? To prove that God, with his pinky finger, can whoop anything that the devil may bring your way. Tell your neighbor, that's power right there, baby. He humiliated him with the cross. Hebrews 2.14 says that he rendered the devil powerless who had the power of death. And that's why Paul could say, oh, death, where is your sting? Because when Christ died, he took away the power of death. And so death for many was finality, but God through the cross has now transformed death into a transition. If the late Dr. Caesar Clark were here, he would say God is the only one who can transform death from a period into a comma. Y'all don't hear me today. A period speaks of the end. A period speaks of finality. But you English grammarians know that if there's a comma, it means that there's something on the other side. And when Jesus died on the cross, he put a comma where death had once put a period to let us know for all time there's something on the other side. I'm trying to preach this all by myself. My point is, gospel defeats sin, but it also defeats Satan. But how many of y'all know the devil is still raising sand? Some of y'all had to fight Satan just to get to church this morning. Say amen. Y'all living with Satan. Say amen. <laughs> Let me stop. Let me stop. Maybe my, one of my favorite athletes of all time, maybe he was right when he said, Muhammad Ali, your, eyes can't, your, your hands can't hit what your eyes can't see. In other words, you can't win a spiritual battle fighting with physical resources. And that's what the devil gets us. We try to make it natural when, in fact, we're in a supernatural battle. And so I'll just throw out a few things here. Number one, how many of y'all know all these school shootings and these mass shootings, they ain't all mental illness. I wish y'all had a witness right there. Look, I'm all for counseling. I'm all for, look, got Jada. Jada, the best counselor this side of heaven. Amen. But even Jada would say, all this stuff, you can't counsel out. No, it needs to be cast out. pandemic. We just not trying to get through COVID. Now monkeypox want to jump up. Revelation 6 says the devil brings pestilence 
and he brings disease. Your hands can't hit what your eyes can't see. And, and does anybody know our culture is riddled with conspiracy theories? Folk will just believe anything. Earth is flat. Come on now. No, that ain't true. Sexual abuse alone in the church, in, the, in our communities, and, and abroad. And y'all hear about that story of the 10-year-old girl that was raped, and everybody's talking about whether she has a right or not to an abortion. I'm saying, well, what about the monster that raped her? Y'all debating something political, and some monster, demonic crazed monster has taken advantage of a 10-year-old child. Oh, your hands can't hit what your eyes can't see. And then we can just talk about our relationships. Because the devil is a master at getting people a one-track mind. No matter what you say, come on, some folks just can't see it any other way. I wish I had a witness right there. How do you fight something you can't see? I'm going to keep this very simple. Just three things I want you to be aware of. Um, You're you going to need your, your communion cup. Make sure you have that today. <laughs> Tell your neighbor, you're going to need it today. <laughs> but the Lord is good. Amen. Three things very quickly, y'all, and we're going to be out of here. Number one, first of all, we got we to gotta acknowledge that Satan is real. That's the first thing. And, and I know that may sound a little bit obvious for Christians, but or for many Christians, but there are a lot of Christians that don't even believe he's real. But we got to first acknowledge that Satan is real. Verse 33, in the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a spirit or an unclean spirit or an evil spirit, and he cried out in a loud voice. Jesus did not have to go far to find Satan. Went up into his own church, into the synagogue, and he found Satan right there. Satan is real. Now, let me put a little caveat here very quickly. Got to teach a little bit here. I personally, as I've read the scriptures most of my life, I do not believe the scriptures teach that a Christian can be demon-possessed. Hear me out. I do not believe a Christian can be demon-possessed. Some of you may say, well, Pastor, what about in this text? Clearly this man was in the synagogue. That was before the Holy Spirit was given. The Holy Spirit had not been given in Luke chapter 4. Holy Spirit was not given to Acts chapter 2. And Paul says that my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not going to share sacred space with demonic forces. So I don't, I don't believe a Christian can be demonically possessed. But I do believe a Christian can be oppressed. Okay? In other words, Christians can be influenced with bondage and strongholds that, that are not of God. But if you have the precious presence of the Holy Spirit living in your life by faith in Jesus Christ, he cannot get in your temple. Amen. So that's just my caveat here. But he is real. And there's two things I want to say that Satan's trying to do when he's real. Number one, his first attack is to convince people he does not exist. That, that's his number one attack right there, is to convince the world, listen, he does not exist. Most people think the devil is a guy that's in a red suit with a pitchfork and got a long tail. Or because they saw the movie Exodus, he shows up to 
make your head turn around four times and vomit green vomit. That's the extent of the devil. No, he's more than that. He's bigger than that. Our modern world wants us to think that somehow uh, we're civilized. We're advanced. Um, It's anti-intellectual. Satan and demons is is a thing of the medieval past. Okay, when when in fact there's some serious problems in our culture that you can't legislate, that you can't throw enough money at, for some reason will not go away. Anybody ever dealt with an addiction that just would not get delivered? Come on, somebody. And so that's what our culture wants us to be, and that's the problem. Our, Our secular culture wants us to believe that everything that we see is natural. And therefore, if it's natural, and I'm borrowing from Tim Keller on this one, everything that is a natural problem must have a natural solution to it. But then society wonders why you can't solve some of these problems. Because you're trying to solve a spiritual supernatural problem with physical resources. And the only way you're going to defeat a supernatural enemy, I wish I had a witness, you're going to need some supernatural power, baby. So, if I can give you a quick example, you know, let's, let's talk about all these shootings for a minute. I'm 100% on board for doing everything that we need to do to make our society safer. You know, people say, well, you're just going to have shootings anyway. There's nothing you can do about it. Well, okay, what? We, we shouldn't have police? We shouldn't have military? What are you saying? What? What? That's just downright stupid. Amen. Tell your neighbor, that's just stupid. <laughs> that's just stupid. That's just stupid, okay? That, that's demonic right there. Amen. <laughs> so I'm down for doing whatever's necessary, whatever reasonable, what is in the best interest of our society to make it safer. But we do also understand, y'all, as we go deeper into the 21st century and the more our society gets away from God, should we be surprised by the things that we're seeing? Because when you ask God to step out, does anybody know you're asking the devil, you got it, you got it, you got it, you got it. Number two, here's the other side of this. The other side of this is that some people want to see Satan in everything. There's one extreme that says Satan doesn't exist. There's another side that sees Satan in every single problem. Every issue is Satan. So, for example, a person goes to a restaurant and the food comes to the table and it's undercooked a little bit. First thing out of their mouth, that must be the devil. No. No, baby, you went to a bad restaurant. That's all that he is. And really, this is serious because sometimes Christians overtalk the devil. And here, here's my point. Number one. We give him way more power than he deserves. Way more power. Way more power. Listen, the devil is not deity. He's not even fallen deity. He's a fallen angel. He's simply the head angel of an evil empire. That's it. And many times we talk so much about him, we give him as if he has more power than Jesus. Now, this is just me, because some of y'all, you may have an issue with it. This is me. I just believe if you talk more about God and you talk more about Jesus, the devil don't like that, and he has to step back. 
But if you talk more about the devil, guess who's going to show up in your house? So number one, we give him way more power than he ought to have. Number two, number two, here it is. Many times we assign to the devil that God says, with me, we can overcome together. And so sometimes we're trying to attribute some things to the devil that the devil would like to take credit for. But many times he's saying, look, that's something God has given us responsibility. And I'll explain this in the next point, that we can conquer on our own with power through Christ. So let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. And I believe this on my heart. I believe the disease cancer is from the enemy. I do. Now, that doesn't mean, because I've, I've had cancer patients in our church, in my family, that doesn't mean that they've done anything sinful, they got some secret sin, they're not wicked, they're not evil. I'm not saying that. I believe cancer is the devil's scourge on all of humanity. Are y'all hearing me? Not saying if you had cancer that somehow you did something. That's not what I'm saying. Tell your neighbor, that's not what Pastor's saying. Check the video. Check the YouTube video. That's not what he said. That's not what he said. Amen. Say amen with me. Amen. All right. What I am saying is that the devil has many scourges that he wants to put on society in terms of disease, misery, and suffering. And one I'm saying is it's cancer. And I came to that conclusion because I have a cousin that works in the field. And he works with treatment. And he shared something with me I'd never heard before. And I just couldn't believe it. I said, it has to be demonic. He said, he said, uh, cuz, what you don't understand about cancer and cancer treatments, he says, you can take a treatment and you can give it to one patient and it'll completely wipe out that cancer. Matter of fact, it won't even come back. It'll completely wipe it out. He says, you can take the same treatment same cancer in a completely different patient that lives in a different region and that treatment won't do a thing. He said it'll be the same cancer, same location and won't do a thing. It's like the cancer, he's like each cancer is its own disease. How many of y'all know? <laughs> Come on now, that sound. Something ain't scientific going on there, Amen. That's all I'm saying. So, so my point is, is that, that, that even with cancer, we can say that might be demonic. But even with that, and, and I, I've, I've dealt with family members and friends and, and members who've had cancer, they still have a responsibility, watch this, to manage their health, their medication, their meds while they're trying to get through it. On the one hand, they'll be the first one to say to you, look, pray that God delivers me from this. We'll, we'll ask the church, we'll ask pastors, we'll ask family members, I need you to pray, I need you to seek heaven, I need you to beg heaven to get me through this. But the other side of it is, look, I got a responsibility to handle my business. I got to take care of my medications, I got to make sure my diet's right, I got to make sure I'm... I'm handling my shit. I got to do all these other things. If I don't do all these other things, what's the sense in praying? And my point is that as Christians, listen, let's stop giving the devil more power than he deserves. Can we do that? Can we do that? Say amen, amen, all right. So number one, devil is real. Number two, Satan is, is defeated. That is, Jesus has already won the war with Satan at the cross. We simply must learn how to win the battle 
that has already won. L- listen to what the demons say. Go away. Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? And if you read the Gospels, you'll, you'll see this phrasing coming out of the mouths of demons. Matter of fact, in Matthew 8 and 29, they said, have you come to destroy us before the time? It's like they know. They know they're living on borrowed time. They, they know they're defeated. They're, they're simply trying to take advantage of the time that they have. And so the point is, Satan is defeated. So just, just a couple of things that I want to share that you got to get here. Number one, this has meaning for people of non-faith. And if you're a person of non-faith and you're here I thank God for you, and clearly God is doing a work in your heart. Maybe you're searching, and you're not sure. You want to believe the truth, and you're trying to figure it out. I I applaud you, because you ought to know exactly what you're getting into. You don't just jump in haphazardly. You don't jump in without at least understanding exactly where a faith stands. And so I applaud you with that. But here's what you don't understand about the enemy. The enemy's number one tactic, and I talked about him not wanting you to know that he exists, but, but another t- tactic that he loves to use is the tactic of deception. He loves to deceive. He, he loves to give you just a shade of truth and then shroud it in a lie. So when you bite into it, 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 it tastes good at first, but when you get down the line, it'll tear you up. And, and, and that's the problem. That's why the Bible says, the day you hear my voice, harden not your heart. Why? Because God knows that once he has spoken and when we reject that voice, the devil is not far behind. And what he does, listen, I know people want to think that the devil is after me with diseases and he wants me with debt and he wants all these other things. That's all superfluous. That's all secondary stuff. The devil has won if he gets us not to believe in Jesus. Because it's one thing to hurt you physically for a moment. It's another thing to take your life for an eternity. The devil is after eternity, y'all. He's not after small chips. Tell your neighbor, that's little stuff. That's small stuff. He's going for the big stuff. And so he's big on deception. Let me quote this. C.J. Chesterton, here's what he said. When people stop believing in God... They don't believe in nothing. They believe in anything. Did did y'all get that? I need to say that again. When people stop believing in God, they don't believe in nothing. Most people think that once they reject God, okay, I don't believe in nothing. No, that's not how it works. No, they believe in anything. When you don't believe in God, you're open to everything. And can we agree in the last five years, we've seen some of the most craziest beliefs we've ever seen in our lives, y'all. Come on. Shoot, I, I actually had one guy tell me this. He told me 911 didn't happen. Thank you. That's <laughs> he said 911 was a hoax and it was a Hollywood production. Now, mind you, Lisa and I, this is what I told him. I said, Do you know my wife and I visited the, the location before they built the One World Trade Center that's there now? We saw it in its destruction. No, man, you were deceived. Really? Uh, we're not operating on all fours here, Doc. <laughs> you know, literally. And we, we, I, Lisa and I were there. We went about eight months after the planes hit the towers. We saw the whole destruction. And then we went back after they built the 
One World Trade Center in its place with the memorial. And I actually had an individual tell me that. And that's the problem. We're in a day, does it, does it, does it surprise anybody that people are willing to believe almost any crazy thing today? Tell you, that's the devil. Because if he can get us to believe anything but the truth, he's won. He's won. But here's the other side. Here's the other side. This is the meaning for people of faith. And here it is. I want you to get it. It's a word about the power of the gospel and God's heart. God wants to rescue us from anything. Many times we talk about God's power and his ability to rescue us from sin and give us eternal life. But I don't care what the issue is. God wants to deliver us even from anything that holds us in bondage or a stronghold right now. Right now. I don't care what it is. And, and here's what we do. Here's what we say. Well, God understands my heart. Um, God, here it is. Here it is. God, God will forgive me anyway. Okay. Um, um, um. God, God knows me, and, and there may be some truth in that, but let me tell you something. Beyond all that, God wants to bring you out, and I'm a living witness. He can bring you out. He can bring you out. The gospel has the power to break anything in your life, and here's my question this morning. With all this Satan talk, what is it that you know God wants to bring you out of? I told you, tell your neighbor, I told you you're going to need the Lord's Supper today. You're going to need it today. You're going to need it today. Yes, you are. What is it? What is it that God wants to bring you out of? What is it? Is it, is it bitterness? Is it, is it unforgiveness? Is it anger? I know something about anger. And I'm telling you, he'll bring you out. Is it, is it, is it lust? Is it, is it pornography? Is it, is it illicit, illicit sexuality because you've been sexually abused? What, what is it? What is it that you think God can't bring you out of? I'm telling you, God can bring you out. And, and there's some testimonies in here that know that God can bring you out of anything. Because that is the power of the gospel. Not just to forgive me and save me for eternity, but to rescue me from the stuff that tries to hold me back in this life. I saw something that blessed me. Saw something that blessed me. I saw where the police caught a guy uh, that had murdered a woman 47 years ago. 47 years ago. Watch this. And they caught him on DNA evidence. DNA they took 47 years ago and matched it to a coffee cup that he used 47 years later. And they caught him. And the chief said, because of the faithfulness of our detectives, we were able to catch the killer. And you know I saw something else in there. Because we have a certain DNA. Preach, Austria. Our God is faithful to us to bring us out of anything because he's put something in me that says I belong to him and I am his child and he wants the best for me. Let me wrap this thing up. Number one, Satan is real. Number two, he's defeated. Here's the last one. 
Number three, he's relentless. After leaving the synagogue that day, Jesus went to Simon's house where he found Simon's mother-in-law very sick with the high fever. Please heal everyone, begged. And standing at her bedside, he rebuked the fever and it left her. And so here they, Satan loses the battle in the synagogue. And I show you, right across the street. What did the devil do? He went right across the street. And Jesus just went right on across the street. Chased his little behind on out of there too. <laughs> That's because even though the devil is relentless, our God is faithful. H- how do we stay out once he brings us out? That's the question. That's the question. Here it is. It's surrender. Surrender to him. That's the struggle. We, we struggle to surrender our lives to God. I'll be the first one to say I struggle sometimes. I do. And I'm a pastor. I'm a preacher. We, we struggle to surrender to him because we think God's trying to take something from us. When in fact, all God's trying to do is give us life. Think of it this way. You, you got to understand, when God saved you, he moved you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, which means this. You're no longer governed by the kingdom of darkness's rules. And to stay out, you got to learn to live by the kingdom of, of life's rules. That's why he comes into the synagogue teaching. He's teaching them the principles of the kingdom because now they're citizens of the kingdom. And as they operate by those rules, They stay out, and they remain and sustain the power of God in their lives. And so here's an example. Uh, Many of us are familiar with the case with Brittany Griner and and hope she can get home, all that kind of stuff. Don't have no ill hatred toward her, none of that stuff, okay? But the reason why she got in trouble is because she thought, and if it's true, I don't know if they put it on her or plan her, but if what we're being told is true, she thought the rules in Russia were the same as the rules in America. Tell your neighbor, that ain't how it worked. So what she was allowed to do legally here, and y'all need to stop smoking that marijuana anyway, say amen. (laughs) That's the only reason why I'm telling the illustration, right? What she thought was legal here, she thought would be okay over there. But she got over there, it wasn't legal. And that's why she's in trouble. And that's what happens with a lot of Christians. A lot of Christians get delivered or a lot of Christians ask for deliverance. And God says, why should I deliver you and you still operating by rules that are against my kingdom? I need you to operate according to my way. And what that is, that's a surrender principle where God calls us to surrender to his way, to surrender to the life that he wants us to live. And God's not trying to take anything away from you more than anything. When we surrender, does anybody know he has so much to give to you? He has life to give you. He has peace to give you. He has wholeness to give you. He has blessings to give you. He has healing to give you. God has so much to give to us when we surrender our way to him. So gospel gives us the power to conquer the enemy and to live powerfully for him. As we surrender our lives. I'll close with this. Here it is. Oh, so I didn't, I wanted to really crystallize this. And God gave it to me this week. Um, so I used to do all my prescriptions 
my eye drops for my eyes, all that kind of stuff, through the CVS pharmacy by my house. Um, and they were okay. But lately, they've been getting on my nerves. Come on. They've been getting on my last nerve. Every time I went up there to get my prescriptions, it was something. This wasn't right. This wasn't right. No, you got to do this. You got to do that. The last time I went up there, they had a sign. We only take cash. I was done. I was done. So, so I moved all my prescriptions from the CVS near my house to another CVS two miles down the street. And you know what happened? When I walk in, they call me by my first name, uh, my full name, Mr. Autry, Mr. Terrence Autry, we're so glad that you're here today. How may I help you? Just nice, courteous, curt, uh, a very big smile. Their, their, their credit machine works and everything. There's never an issue. I'm in and out in like two minutes. And I was just blown away by the sun, only two miles from my house. And so I'm happy. I've changed all my prescriptions. But then I started getting texts from the old CVS. And you know what I did, y'all? I ghosted them. (laughs) I ghosted them because I had a new pharmacy. I had a new place. I didn't have to go to them anymore. And they just kept on texting me, you got prescriptions to be ready. And I kept ghosting them. I kept ghosting them. And I, and I, I, I wanted to tell them so bad, I'm not coming to you. But I realized in that moment, that's exactly what God did for us. There was a time that, listen, we had no choice but to do what the devil wanted us to do. But does anybody know when Christ came into our lives, he gave us a new life. And now we can ghost the devil. We don't have to respond to him. We can ghost him with prayer. We can ghost him with worship. We can ghost him in the name of Jesus. We can go on with the power of God in our lives. Does anybody know God can conquer anything that the devil brings in our lives? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we bless you and thank you for the hope we have that when we're fighting what we can't see, you've given us the victory and the power to overcome, and we don't even have to respond. We can ghost the devil because we got a new life and a new Savior that gives us hope and gives us direction and victory and rescue over anything that the devil may bring our way. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, give the Lord another hand clap of praise.